The first reading is from Amos, chapter 3, verses 3 to 8. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? Does a lion roar in the thicket when it has no prey? Does it growl in its den when it has caught nothing? Does a bird swoop, swoop down to a trap on the ground when there is no bait there? Does a trap spring up from the ground if it has not caught anything? When a trumpet sounds in a city, do not the people tremble? When disaster comes to a city, has not the Lord caused it? Surely the sovereign Lord does nothing without revealing his plan to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, but who can but prophesy? second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 13 to 25 don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered at the altar in the same way the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel but I have not used any of these rights, and I am not writing this in the hope that you will do such things for me, for I would rather die than allow anyone to deprive me of this boast. For when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, since I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, I have a reward. If not voluntarily, I am simply discharging the trust committed to me. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge and so not make full use of my rights as a preacher of the gospel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew, to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the game goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever.
Uh, under the uh, lectern here, I've, I've got a, a, a cup of iced water, and I just wanted to assure you that it is only iced water. Um, not like the curate who was really nervous about preaching his first sermon. And the vicar said to him, well, we'll tell you what we'll do. We'll, in the glass in the pulpit, we'll put some gin in it. And the congregation won't know what's, what's in it. But every time you feel yourself getting a bit nervous, just take a sip. So he did that. Whenever he felt his nerves getting the better of him, he took a, a sip from this glass. And when the service was over, he said to the vicar, so, so how, how did it go? And he said, well, it, it went very well, but there's just perhaps uh, three things that we ought to try and put right in the future. The first is when preachers finish their sermon, they normally say amen, not get their notes, and go, wee! <laughs> and the second thing is, it looks better if you leave the pulpit, come walking down the steps, not sliding on the rail. And the last thing is that what the Bible actually says is that David slew Goliath. He didn't knock the seven bells out of him. <laughs> so you, you know that uh, today is my final service as a stipendiary minister. And it, it reminded me of the, of the church where they had a tradition that whenever a new minister arrived, uh, they would have a fish and chip supper. And that when that minister left, they'd have a meat and potato pie supper. And the time came for a particular minister to move on, and one of the elders went to see a member of the congregation and said, are, are you coming to the minister's leaving do? And she said, no, she said, uh, I, I didn't really like the minister. And the elder said, that's okay, just eat the potatoes. The first thing I want to say is to thank Thomas Risley for allowing me to have my final service as a stipendary minister here. A well-educated friend of mine referred to this as my valedictory service, but my niece, who's in a Welsh folk band, referred to it as my farewell gig. Uh, and I kind of think I like that one better. It sounds a bit more relaxed. When a, a minister retires from a church or a pastorate, there's a final service where people come to say their goodbye and bon voyage. But after having worked in eight churches over the last four years as a transitional minister, there wasn't really a natural sending off point. And as the Rolling Stones sang back in 1964, I didn't want to just fade away. I wanted there to be a service which brought to a conclusion these 43 years as a minister. And so what a better place than Thomas Risley. I've really enjoyed working here. I find your approach to worship so refreshing. In some churches where I've been working in the last four years, I've had to persuade them, I've had to work hard to persuade them to put one contemporary song in the service. But here, the worship belongs to the 21st century. It's relaxed, and it's unstuffy, and it's real. There's an engaging with God going on here. So it's a lovely place for me to have my farewell gig. So thank you for allowing me to have that here. On the 15th of September, 1971, I preached my first sermon. I was just 20 years old at the time.
And when I was given the opportunity to speak in that service, I knew straight away the text that I wanted to preach on. It was a verse that I'd come across in reading one of the letters of Paul. It really spoke to my heart. The trouble was that when I came to prepare the sermon, I couldn't find where that text was. We didn't have a detailed concordance at home, and of course in those days there wasn't Google. So I asked my minister where the verse was, but he couldn't find it either. Imagine that, a minister who didn't know where every single verse in the Bible is. It should be a disciplinary matter. So instead, we chose a verse which said something similar, but it didn't have the same thrust. So I thought, well, if I couldn't preach on that verse of my first sermon, I'll preach on it at my last. And the verse is in the first letter of Paul to the church in Corinth, which we heard as our reading from the New Testament, where Paul says, Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. And that verse really encapsulated what I wanted to say on that occasion, even though I couldn't find it. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. You see, I didn't look at a variety of career options and decide, I'll be a minister. My becoming a minister was never a matter of personal choice that I made. There was always this sense of compulsion that this was what I was meant to do. I'd known from a very young age that this was what I was created for, to be a minister, and in particular, to preach the gospel. To try and ignore that would be to deny who I was. And the gospel, of course, means good news. And what is the essence of the good news we're called to preach? Human flourishing. But there was another verse that was important to me when I was young, and I knew where this one was to be found. It's in the passage we heard from the book of the prophet Amos. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Ten years ago, we took a a group from the church in Heswell to work on a conservation project in Kenya. And whilst we were there, we saw some lions close up from the safety of a minibus. It was really exciting. But if I'd heard one of those big fellows roar and I didn't have the protection of a strong vehicle around me, it would have been a different reaction. There wouldn't have been a single bone in my body that wasn't shaking with sheer terror. And Amos is saying... If you're out in the wild with no protection and you hear a lion roar, there is not a human being on God's earth that will not be terrified. There is only one response. And it's the same when God's word has touched your heart. There is no way you cannot but proclaim that message. And I understood exactly what the prophet was saying. I knew what Amos was talking about firsthand. That's how I felt. There was no way I could not be a preacher. And all my life, that has been fundamental to my experience of God. 
even in moments of real doubt and uncertainty, and there's been a few of those along the way, but even in moments of doubt and uncertainty, I could never deny the reality of God. If I knew I was being called to be a minister, then there was someone who was calling me. There was no getting away from this greatest reality in my life. Once something that is so all-pervading has touched your life, there's no denying it, and there's no way of walking away from it. I remember one time when I was in Swansea. I just started, but I was already fed up with being a minister. I was fed up with having no money. I was fed up with having no time for a social life. And so I decided to apply to do a teacher's training course in Liverpool. And I remember the day the prospectus arrived. I took the envelope into the dining room and sat down to read the contents. And as I started to read that prospectus, I just felt so guilty. And I knew I'd then that I'd never get away from this call to be a minister. Of course, I was lucky to find someone uh, who was willing to share my life as a minister. And for the last 36 years, Jean has been my friend and my companion, my sounding board and my advisor. Being the wife of a minister is not a path that anyone in their right mind would choose. The pay is not great, and we're out nearly all the time. One evening re recently, the phone rang, and I answered, and it was my daughter at the other end. And she said, what are you doing in? <laughs> Jean and our children got used to a life when I was hardly ever at home. Most people take it for granted that they'll have weekends when they can go and visit their family or friends. But we've never known that. And Jean has never complained about that. Mind you, there's been a few other things that she has complained about, <laughs> but not that one. She's accepted that as part of being married to a minister. But now we can look forward to spending more time together and going away for weekends. For me, being a minister has been a joy and a privilege. Something that never ceases to amaze me is that after 43 years as a minister and eight years studying the Bible before that, as I read the scriptures, I still find myself being surprised and excited by new glimpses of God's glory and love. Back in 1620, John Robinson said to the Pilgrim Fathers, the Lord hath yet more light and truth to break forth from his holy word. And I have found that to be true for me. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I see something that really excites me to the core of my being. And I say to myself, wow, why did you never see that before? Or on other occasions, I can be reading a book or listening to a speaker share, sharing his 
or her own insights. And again, there's that thrill of discovery, and the reaction is exactly the same. Wow, why have I never seen that before? I've been studying this book for over 50 years, and I hadn't seen that before. But that is the wonder of God's Word. There will always be new glimpses of His truth and love to shine forth. But the thrill of discovery is only half the joy. The other half is sharing those insights with people who come hungry to engage with God. And that has been my privilege for the last 43 years, Sunday by Sunday, sharing what God in His goodness has revealed to me. And you can always see it in people's faces when they're making that journey with you. It's a real privilege, something for which I shall always be grateful. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. This is a verse which speaks not just to those who've been called to ministry, but to the whole church. Once a church has lost this sense of urgency in sharing the new beginnings which God is offering to people through Jesus, once a church loses a sense of urgency in sharing that message, it has really lost its reason for being. I have yet to come across a congregation that doesn't want to grow. But so often the reason why they want to grow is so that there will be new people to help with the flour and the tea rotor. They want to draw in new people so that they can keep this show on the road. And that's what I really admire about this church. They have just made an application for a special category minister for this area, but not for them. No, they said, we can manage perfectly well on our own. We are richly blessed with worship leaders and elders with wisdom and vision. What we want is a minister for the 12,000 people of Birchwood where there is no minister, where there is no church, but who needs to hear about that life in all its fullness which God is offering them through Jesus. It's not about keeping this church going. It's about taking the gospel to the people of Birchwood. And that's what I so admire about this congregation, is their commitment to the gospel. I just wish that I was 30 years younger and I would love to have applied for the job. Having said that, they're a very discerning group and they probably wouldn't have selected me anyhow. <laughs> Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. This is a verse which speaks not just to individual churches, but for the United Reformed Church as a whole, and indeed every denomination. It was Emil Brunner who said, the church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. Mission is what we are called to do. It's our reason for being. 
It's in our DNA. What I find quite worrying is how much time and energy the church devotes to activities which are not mission-focused. We are more concerned with managing our decline than reaching out to share the good news of God's love in Jesus. And so long as that attitude prevails, we have within ourselves the seeds of our own demise. There will be no help until we remember what we are here for and place that at the top of our agenda. Woe is me if I preach not the gospel. I imagined some seasoned preachers, and there are a few here today, who will be saying to themselves, but you've said nothing about the contents of the gospel. And, and I did think about that, but really it would have meant a whole new sermon. And the truth is that for the last 47 years, since I preached that first sermon, I've been exploring what that gospel message is. But for me, the journey began not with the contents of the message, but being called to be a messenger. That sense of compulsion to preach the good news has dominated the whole of my life. But now it's time, in the words of the spiritual, for me to lay down my sword and shield. So is that the end of my studying the Scriptures and then sharing what new treasures God in His goodness reveals to me? Some of you will be familiar with the name Roy Hodgson. He resigned as the England football manager after they'd been beaten by Iceland in the European Cup. And I heard him being interviewed soon after that, and he was asked, did he think he would ever manage a football team again? And he replied, being a football manager is what I am. And using almost exactly the same words, I read recently about a missionary who said, being a missionary is not what I do, it's what I am. And when I read those words, I realize that just like the prophet Amos and the apostle Paul, here were people who knew exactly how I feel. Just like the prophet Jeremiah, I was called from my mother's womb. To be a preacher was always my destiny. And for as long as God gives me health and strength, I know that's something I'll continue to do. And not just because necessity is laid upon me, but because exploring and then sharing the mysteries of who God is has always been for me a joy and a privilege. But I'm looking forward now to having a few weekends when I can go and visit family and friends, especially now that we have a granddaughter in Guildford who we want to get to know as well as we do our two grandsons who live on the Wirral. God has been very good to me, and I'm truly grateful. Amen.